0: A pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast, episode 107. We come to you in the year 2023. Sam Lebowitz, Jack Hendon, bringing you the first new Pleasant Good Evening Podcast episode of the new year. We wish you a happy new year from wherever you are welcoming in the new year. I've said new year already a lot and we're only thirty seconds into this recording, Jack. How was your new year?
1: Not a lot of new me. What's that about? Are you yeah. not trying to be a new person? Feeling the same, pretty much. You're telling Just... me this. You're you're telling me that uh, my problems follow me into the next year, and it's not like I start a new season of a of a show. You're telling me that for the first time. I I don't. Yeah, I didn't know it's... that.
0: It's not a hard reset. It's not like the days of you know college or high school now that we're both out of education uh, where like you have that mid-semester break over the new year. You come back, you feel refreshed. You feel like you can turn over a new leaf. No, now that we're post that world, it is very much like you alluded to. The problems just kind of persist. Nothing changes once you get into the new year other than uh, the number that the date ends in. Uh, and for the Mets kinda the same thing. The problem that was uh that they were dealing with prior to New Year's Eve has followed them into the new year and that is the problem with what the hell is going on with Carlos Correa, his contract, and his medicals. And we have heard barely anything from this since we last chatted with you, which was uh what was that, about ten days ago, eleven maybe at this point when we did the emergency episode about the Mets agreeing to terms with Carlos Correa, we're still not really any closer to knowing when that situation is going to be resolved because we haven't actually we haven't actually talked about this on the podcast yet. The Mets found the same issue that the Giants did, surprise surprise, in regards to Correa's physical and his ankle and the health of that lower leg. And they're concerned. They have the same concerns that th- that caused the Giants to pull out of the Korea contract that he had with them in the first place. Uh, and there are updates as of today, but it's been a-, a whirlwind kind of week and a half, two weeks as we've waited for news about when this is going to come to a resolution.
1: Yeah. It reminds me a lot, honestly, of the feeling towards the end of the lockout last season. Where we had gotten that you know midnight alert from Bob Nightingale that one night about the lockout ending, I think the parallel here would be, um, you know, the notification at three a.m. that the Mets were signing Carlos Correa, and then what ended up happening after the fact was we waited about a week for the talks to actually progress towards any sort of a resolution, and um, I think it's obviously for different reasons, right? The holiday is probably playing some sort of role in this, um. I mean, look, I'm not worried about the Mets failing to agree to a deal with Carlos Correa. I don't think that's what's going to happen here. But the the, the word on the street is that, and the word on the street being the word in The Athletic from Ken Rosenthal, is that the deal is going to be drastically different. They're clearly working on a lot of injury-related clauses. Um that are going to, I think, affect the framework of that 12-year, $315 million bill uh, that we thought the Mets were going to be paying. It could be a little different now. Um, Again, like, I'm not of the opinion that this thing is going down the toilet. I think we saw this timeline with the Giants when they backed out, um, and it was very immediate. Um, And the Mets were right there to, to sort of swoop in and and claim Correa in that moment that they clearly turned away from their agreement altogether. Um, The Mets have not turned away from their agreement. In fact, Steve Cohen has sort of put them in a, in a bind with the statements that he has been making um, about Carlos Correa, which I don't know if it, if it forces the Mets to sign Carlos Correa, like I'm fine with that. I would, I would, I would personally force the Mets to sign Carlos Correa if it were up to me. Um, But that's also like an aspect of this when the report first came out, like, geez, like, you know, you have sides of this organization that are leaking different things. Um, Because really what Steve Cohen did was kind of reckless. It was it was cool because it had to do with Carlos Correa. But, it, you know, you're not really supposed to say you've signed someone before you actually sign them.
0: Right. That's the context that, yeah, I think we should fill in a little bit. Is that. In case you weren't aware. You know, listeners at home, uh, when the Mets did agree to terms with Carlos Correa, Steve Cohen's first call pretty much was to John Heyman, and he didn't outrightly say it, but he acknowledged it in clear enough terms. He said, Uh, we thought we were missing one more big piece and we think this is it, referring to Correa. You're not supposed to do that until the ink is dried, until the teaser crossed and the eyes are dotted you're really not supposed to acknowledge free agent contracts that's why at the winter meetings when teams are making deals and their gms are getting uh press scrums every single day they're saying you know what like we saw with justin verlander this year with billy epler uh they asked him the, the press team asked him about uh verlander what he thought of verlander and he goes he's a great pitcher and they said is that all you have to say about him he's like "It's all i have to say about him right now uh like that's usually what teams and team officials will do. That's the strategy when it comes to pending free agent contracts. Once you've agreed to terms, there's a term sheet that gets signed, but that's not an official binding agreement. That just gives you a window to work out the physical and work out whatever details in the contract need to get worked out. So there's that limbo period that we've been stuck in with Correa for a while, and usually uh, there is a, a bit of a, a timestamp on it. Once you exceed that timestamp, the player can say, "You know what? Screw this." I'm, you know, it's it's binding on the part of the player, but the team can um, rescind it if they if they so want to. So that's why people were originally freaking out why this was taking so long. But it's pretty clear that the Mets aren't going to back out because of those comments that Steve Cohen made. The reason it's concerning for the Mets that he made those comments is if Correa doesn't. Wind up a met if the Mets pull out of this agreement, Korea can file a ginormous grievance, uh, with the players' association against Steve Cohen, and it would almost certainly be a winning effort by the players' association, cost the Mets and Cohen a lot of money and a lot of uh legal issues with the uh, players' association, which wants you know they would want to avoid at all costs. That's why this is an issue on the Mets side. It's also an issue on Korea's side. And Ken Rosenthal, you mentioned his podcast today, was fairly illuminating on this aspect too. Rosenthal pretty much said, and I think he said, word for word, the Mets have all the leverage here. I think that that grievance thing gives it a little less leverage towards the Mets than you might initially think. But the the word is, is that Correa just doesn't want to hit the open market again, period. Yeah. Scott Boris doesn't want him on the market again. Correa doesn't want himself on the market again because he knows he's not going to get this kind of guaranteed money. If there's two teams that have such concerns about his physical health that they're willing to pull out a long-term contract, he's not going to get a long-term contract again. Um, so yeah. the Mets have, quote-unquote, all the leverage. They want to make this happen. And after that a kind of initial shock when this broke that— the Mets had similar concerns about Correa and everyone was like, oh my God, are they going to pull out of the contract too? I think that's kind of abated. And now it's like, okay, just what is this going to look like? He's going to wind up a Met. He he doesn't want to hit the market again. He wants to be a Met now. He's on board with what the team is trying to do. And Steve Cohen really can't afford to let him go from a legal aspect now because Correa is just going to turn around and file a grievance if he does. It's just a matter of what is this going to look like?
1: Right. I think, I mean, look, this is, I, I'm I'm interested in your sort of perspective on this. I tend to believe that because there haven't been any sort of leaks on the Boris player side of this, uh, that it all sort of, it's in the, I guess, it's in the same token of how you're referring to leverage, where really, like, the reason Scott Boris and you know, isn't talking to any anyone in the media about this is really because they don't like they want this deal to go through. They don't want to create tension and they don't want to create a a pissing contest in terms of how this how these negotiations are going to go. Is that like is that a fair observation to make or is that are they unrelated?
0: I think so. Uh, This was also something that Ken talked about in that podcast episode that dropped today It's Tuesday, January 3rd. We're recording this is uh the, the Mets want to get this done. Correa wants to get this done too, but they don't want to get it done in a way that's going to be messy. Like you you said, they want a happy player is what Ken said, especially if you're going to have a long-term relationship with a guy like Carlos Correa, a superstar. You want a positive relationship there. You do not want to get off on the wrong foot. You do not want this public-facing bidding war of sorts between the biggest agent in sports, his player, and this billionaire titan who has established himself in the last two off seasons as a guy that uh, will kind of do and say anything uh, and throw around whatever cash he needs to throw around to get what he wants in this sport. It's not a. It's not a. It would not be pretty. It would not be a pretty battle if this got public, uh, and we had to go through it i mean you remember like you talked about the lockout last year that was a pretty public negotiation and it was so ugly yeah so things can devolve pretty quickly whether it's a free agent negotiation we saw how uh frenetic and messy it wasn't messy in the way that it created a you know bad blood between team and player but the max scherzer um saga last year when the Mets signed him. That was a very public negotiation. That was a very public battle between team and team and player. Is he going to go back to the Dodgers? Is he going to sign with the Mets? That was hours and hours and hours that lasted days of us wondering how that was going to sort itself out. Uh, and it was very nerve wracking for, for the fans. Yeah. Uh, and, and this has just been so quiet that the nuggets we've gotten have been such minuscule nuggets uh, whether you believe the reports that the reason it hasn't happened yet is cuz of the holidays or whether you uh don't you know believe that and you believe the the reports from some some smaller reporters that were saying that actually no it was the hol- you know the holidays didn't have an impact really on this deal shaking out i mean clearly they've really been working at it in some scope because Otherwise, it'd be done because Scott Boras said he expected this done by Christmas, and now it's January third, and we don't have an official contract yet. I mean, it, it, there's really no way of knowing specifically what's going on behind closed doors.
1: Yeah,
0: whether it yeah. is a few signatures to get this done, I think you know we're we're on the evening of January third. Business is back open as usual in Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association offices. So. I don't see why it's not done if it's just needing signatures. Clearly, I think we maybe we were wrong in in hoping that it was just some signatures from lawyers who were not available over the holidays and maybe there is still some contract language that needs to get ironed out.
1: Yeah. Well, there's also the aspect of I think in this story the the radio silence that's been sort of requested um of mem, you know, people within the organization because this medical's you know fiasco i shouldn't call it a fiasco because it can obviously get much much worse but it's it's created a bit of a firestorm and ultimately it's a firestorm that's made steve cohen look a little bit bad for the reasons we outlined earlier like that was almost definitely an inside leak of some kind um and it's brought us to this point where we also are sort of witnessing a kind of a a a like a stalemate I guess that's not really the word here but it's 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 something it's a silence has absolutely fallen over that front office um in ways I, that
0: yeah i it's it's i don't know it's not my story to tell and it's probably a story that you know a couple of years from from now we'll probably get the full written uh story about everything that went down in the last 2 weeks I don't think it's a coincidence that this story was leaked um, to Ken Rosenthal. He had the initial report that the Mets didn't like Correa's medicals and there was a holdup. He had that initial report. I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that he got that story and then we haven't heard anything of significance since. Really, I, I mean, Ken had this stuff today, but that's really just, hey, the Mets have all the leverage, and I think this probably gets done. A and B gets resolved fairly soon. That's really what his report amounted to. The rest of his report, and we'll talk about this later, was, in the meantime, they're willing to trade uh, Eduardo Escobar if you know if and when Correa becomes official because his role on the roster is much more superfluous with Correa and whatever. Uh I think it was we've had like two actual nuggets. It was that with Ken today and then uh the Giants media availability with their front office between Christmas and New Year's, uh, in which they threw water on the flames of any speculation that maybe they try to jump back in on Correa because uh they said pretty much he's focused on another team right now. Yeah. And yeah which was which was positive news for Mets fans,
1: yeah, the wording of it especially, I think Farhan referred to it as unlikely. That's a specific word that you, I think, put out in a situation in which there is a likelihood that something else is already happening. Um, maybe I'm stretching on that, but I think usually you would hear something more along the lines of like, um, it's not a road that we're gonna go down. we're we've moved on. it's it's not a it's not something that you sort of toss up to. Well, it's unlikely. The odds are against us. You know, I think all of that definitely, like you said, points to the probability that this is the Mets contract to yeah. to sign.
0: It wasn't him saying it's unlikely, but if he becomes an open free, you know, an unrestricted free agent again, we're going to jump right back in. It wasn't him saying that. It was like, nah, we're we're pretty sure he's going to wind up with the team he's focused on right now.
1: Yeah uh yeah.
0: which was which was positive um so
1: there won't be a Lowell mets then there won't be the braves the amount of times i've heard people talk about the possibility that like obviously it's you know it's a big joke i don't think it would ever happen but like wow well you know what would it be funny if the Braves signed him for you know seven years and and 75 million dollars right now and you have to <laughs> donate uh five percent of that to the uh atlanta braves foundation um you know stuff like that but that's not happening either. Like the Mets are winning this. The Mets are coming out of this on top. Yeah. Like he's
0: going to be this, my understanding of the situation and the understanding that has, I think become a lot more public, especially today with, you know, one of the most prominent baseball reporters in the country, pretty much saying as much, uh, is that he's going to wind up a New York Met. Uh, It's just a question of, of exactly what that looks like, what the contract looks like to go back to the previous point. I, I just don't think it's a coincidence that we haven't heard anything. I'm pretty pretty sure uh, things got buttoned up pretty pretty quickly after the initial story broke. I um, can't say this for a fact, but I would not be surprised if there was an intention uh, by Steve Cohen to see you know make sure this story never got out publicly, at least until after this the contract was officially signed uh but that's i i suppose speculation on my part uh it's,
1: I, yeah it's like not a wanna... stalemate it's an oath of silence that's how yeah. i would refer to this it's, it's a blood oath
0: it's it's sh- making the inner circle a lot tighter yeah so that there are fewer voices that can uh leak this out and, and spread it around uh, what have you um I don't know. I just know, all I know is that from my perspective, I caught wind of this a full 24 hours before that initial Rosenthal report came out. And I had my doubts if this was ever going to find its way out publicly. Source? So play, Who's the source? Not to play the source game. Um, Sick source brag.
1: Sorry.
0: Yeah, big source brag. But I mean, I wasn't sure if this was ever going to get leaked publicly. And uh, if it did, I thought, you know, maybe this they figure this out after a few days and then we catch wind of it in February or March as the team's going to spring training. I really kind of was surprised when that initial report came out because the vibe I got was that they want to handle this kind of quietly. Um, And then it became unquiet and then it became a lol-mets thing and then it got very, very quiet. So I don't think that's all a coincidence. But I guess we could talk about what we think the contract's going to look like. I think the contract's going to have a lot of specific, hyper-specific language regarding his specific injury and that plate in his upper ankle and all that. Like if there's uh, food on it? (laughs) Not the kind of plate I was referring to. Okay. um, But I, maybe I haven't talked to the lawyers, but if they want to put anything in there about that, I I think that you're looking at a situation in which the language is going to be so hyper-specific that it's, if he misses X amount of games, from 2035 onward with specific ankle injury, then it triggers a mutual option, which he can become a free, whatever.
1: Well, you Uh, know what's going to happen too is that we're probably, there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to get right now. And let's say in July, if Carlos Correa's OPS is beneath 750, like someone's going to put out a piece and with some nugget about something in the contract, something about how, The Mets were really, really scared about this not going well. And they were so scared that they put these clauses in the contract. And now Correa's, you know, having a 2021 Lindor season, which like, fine. You know, if it means the next 11 years or or 2022 Lindor seasons, like, I don't care. But I think also this was going to be, this contract is going to be a golden goose for journalists, for people who will write stories about where the Carlos Correa experience goes next because this really is like we I didn't think of it at the time like it you know on these terms this is the Mets attempt at a Jeter and A-Rod tandem with Lindor and Correa it's absolutely Steve Cohen um I mean someone complained that it was the Mets trying to be the Yankees which like I don't know I think those two are a lot cooler than than Jeter and A-Rod were better worse who knows but uh, I think even with the the pass that Carlos Correa has, um, you're going to root for the Mets to have the better pair of guys here. Um,
0: They're certainly more personable.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, yeah. a cardboard cutout standing at shortstop, and I mean, we know what A-Rod is now.
1: <laughs> right. He's,
0: he tries really hard to be personable. He, I think he comes off fairly cringy a lot of the time. Yeah, he's
1: kind of like the Andrew Yang of, of baseball, I think.
0: Oh that's if, a good way of putting it.
1: Not not to not to get political, but uh it 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 gives off a very it's you know, it's like bitcoin uh it's like bitcoin baseball. It's it's a little bit of a I don't know. And anyway, I didn't mean to take this down. The really important thing I think to focus on here is not the big takeaway I think from the Rosenthal thing is not um it's not a, it's not about what happens with Korea. It's it's honestly it's time to get more upset about the possibility of, of Eduardo Escobar getting traded. I personally don't want that to happen. I'm not even that high on Escobar, and I don't think I want that to happen.
0: Is he a very good player? No. Is he a starting player on a team that has Carlos Correa? No. Do I want him to stick around for the vibes? Yeah.
1: Also, is if it- you get rid of him, do you have like a reason to keep Darren Ruff on your roster anymore? And the answer is yes, you do.
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, so you could probably squeeze a team, I don't know, like, you can get someone else's Drew Smith for Eduardo Escobar, whereas, like, Darren Ruff, if you can even find a trade partner at this point, it's like a cash considerations or player to be named later situation. Sure. I mean... I mean, like, they clearly didn't care about the return for James McCann, something we haven't actually talked about yet. James McCann's not a Met anymore. That's Yeah, fun. where Congrats. was the
1: emergency episode on James McCann uh, becoming a Baltimore Oriole? Where were we on that?
0: I, I don't think that that's our ballpark. I think we should leave that to uh, the niche Mets slash Orioles fan that we... That's Allison's ballpark.
1: Um, yeah, sure. But... <laughs> Poor Allison. Um, that's like, that's not the result you You wanted.
0: Yeah, friend of the pot, Allison McKig, one-time guest. That's right. Escaped, escaped James McCann from the Mets, and then got James McCann on her other favorite team, the Orioles. Uh, we're glad he's not a Met anymore. The Mets are uh, recouping five mil of the twenty-four mil that he's owed, uh, and they're getting McKaig- a player. They're allegedly getting a player to be named later, although it's not believed to be a prospect of any type of prominence, which is fine.
1: Or what if it ends up being James McCann? That's <laughs> happened before. It has happened before. But... How
0: about a catcher for cre- catcher trade? You guys can have James McCann. We'll take uh, Adley Rutschman.
1: I would, i I controversial, but I would agree. Adley Rutschman would be good as a match. James
0: McCann for Adley Rutschman, who says no I certainly don't um yeah I I just I mean clearly if the Mets are trying to get someone off their roster like a McCann like if they if they look at McCann and Ruff the same way I don't think they care about the return but it doesn't it's so weird to me that we're getting reports that They see Escobar as a a guy they can trade now, and they see Carlos Carrasco as a guy they can trade now because, like, depth is still important, and it's not just something you want to throw away. Like, having Danny Mendick as your depth instead of Eduardo Escobar is not the same level of depth. Eduardo Escobar is better depth than anybody else that you could roster right now Mm -hmm. unless you go out and bring in someone else, which I don't think they're going to do
1: for that type of role right and also is it worth it to make a trade like this for I mean not to not to write off Drew Smith because I think Drew Smith is a is you know a real dark horse to be great this year but why who's to say you can't just sign the next Drew Smith right like are there really no relievers out there are there no guys you've already claimed like how many guys off waivers at the off chance that maybe they will be like Drew Smith like What's one more? Why do you have to trade Eduardo Escobar, which by extension is going to, you know, force your hand in rostering someone like Darren Ruff or giving more at-bats to Luis Guillerme or Danny Mendick in July, August. Like, what's the point of doing all of that? I don't, I, I, I fail to see it. And again, I'm not even that high on Escobar. I'm sure that as time goes on, naturally, especially with players who, don't play a whole lot and guys who sort of have these, these little hitches in their game, right? Eduardo Escobar can be kind of weird against right-handed pitching and uh, he lifts the ball a lot and he doesn't really play great defense, right? Guys like that are not going to be as good in year two of their contract as they are in year one. Um, But even then, I think he is still better than Darren Ruff. And I think that there's no reason really at this point, to act like uh, you need to pepper and fix in such a way with your bullpen that you're getting rid of any talent. I think they've already made it abundantly clear at many points this offseason that you can just sign someone, and that will help.
0: Yeah. I, I just think, I mean, even if he's not a very good player, he's a better player than Ralph, like you keep saying. Yeah. And he's a player that is a switch hitter, is capable more so against left-handed pitching so he's got that rough role kind of there mm-hmm. potentially you know if you want to employ him in a similar role uh he's got positional versatility he can play third he can play second he can play first if you need him to he's got corner outfield experience um you know averageish runner whatever great clubhouse guy pop a mm-hmm. homer every once in a while uh, we saw him get hot a couple times. Well, his hot streaks are, are pretty great. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of value there that is pointless to give, unless you're getting something of equal or greater value in return. And I I don't think a, some other team's Drew Smith is like, is, like, is Scott Barlow worth this? I don't know, no. just a name. Or is Scott Barlow, Scott Barlow might be a little bit better than Drew Smith.
1: I don't know. Even then, I mean, it's not a – you don't have to trade Eduardo Escobar for someone marginally better than Drew Smith. Just sign someone marginally better than Drew Smith, right? Like, that's probably the one – really what's silly to me, too, about this is, like, look, most of the free agents at this stage are gone. Jurekson Profar is maybe the only, like, top 40 free agent left. Everybody. Uh, Evaldi, gone. Um, that would be the most recent one, right? Um, God, I'm I'm, like – I mean, they've all gone, um, except for potential guys who can mash against lefties and relief pitchers. Those are the only two departments. Like, if you look at the remaining outfielders right now, there's like a trove of guys who you could sign who would be better than rough. Um, I guess maybe this is right. I mean, I'm sort of talking myself now backwards into this idea that, yeah, maybe you can trade Escobar because, like, you can sign Trey Mancini, right? But... I don't know. Like
0: I don't know. I mean, you like it's you could such trade a lateral it. move. It is. Like if you still want if you want someone who has versatility like Escobar can, you could spring in like Chad Pinder, though he didn't have a very good offensive year. Yeah. If you I mean, on the flip side too, there's guys here who you, like you said can absolutely replace Ruff if you're just like ready to get rid of Darren Ruff, which i don't really know if they're ready to get rid of darren ruff i i'm not sh- certain of that i think they gave up too much in that trade to just be like all right yeah we can cut bait um which is such an unfortunate thing they got totally played by the giants in that trade yeah. and the dividends were so bad with Ruff. but like mm-hmm. is it not an upgrade to go if you're like Chill with having a right hand hitting first baseman DH on your roster with no positional versatility outside of that. Is Luke Voigt worse than Darren Ruff? Is know. is Trey Mancini worse than Darren Ruff? Certainly not. I don't think Mancini's as. I think Man, like Mancini had kind of a not a great second half with the Astros, and he had a terrible postseason. But like, he's better and a little bit younger than Ruff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there are a couple guys. And, like, it can't be understated also that you will need someone who can hit lefties because Daniel Vogelback will not be that guy. Um, Like, if you're going to roster Vogelback, you need to, again, like we talk about, this isn't buck proofing per se, but it's in the same vein of protecting against the worst possible scenario. Like, Darren, you know, the amount of times they had to pinch hit for Daniel Vogelback in big games because they brought lefties in. it's got to be better. It's got to be better than Ruff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking through this list right now. There are a lot of them. Like, there's Miguel Sano, who I'm not that interested in. Um, yeah, pass. Very much pass. But, like, Andrew McCutcheon? Maybe? I know some people are really high on Adam Duvall. I'm personally not that high on Adam Duvall, but, like...
0: I like the power potential with Duvall. I I just, the way... I think McCutcheon could be a great add. Mm-hmm. I just unfortunately think that he loses a big chunk of his value as a fourth outfielder if he can't play center and he can't because I do want a second player on this roster who can play center and you just don't
1: have that right now besides Nimmo and Duvall kind of does that right
0: yeah Duvall's played a, a, a lot of center in recent years um, he's hurt a lot this year with the Braves but like he keep is capable of standing out there in center, I think, a lot more than McCutcheon at this stage in his career, which is weird, because you think about Duvall, and it's like, my perception of Adam Duvall, a few years ago, before, when he, while he was, like, really breaking out, was like, oh, this is just, like, a corner outfielder who doesn't really do anything besides hit for power, but, like, his best years, he was a pro-rated defender at all three outfield positions, and he was, like, an above-average runner.
1: Yeah, yeah. He just well- He
0: just hits 200.
1: Right. Well, the on-base is also pretty bad. I think that, for me, is the real sticking point. It's like a career, it's like 281 or something. It's And it's not a number that has gotten better as the power numbers have gotten better. Like, he's just, he's simply, uh, I think that's something that you'll always have to work around. But, you know, they liked Tyler Naquin, who had very similar issues and um, was a far worse player than Duvall is. So, you know, if you're going to go that route, I guess you can. I still am not. I think that that sports the Forbes article. I almost said Sports Illustrated, which would have been bad. But this, the Forbes article about like, you know, signing too many guys and changing the culture of the clubhouse. Um, I don't buy into the narrative that like they're doing that right now and it's going to be bad. But I do subscribe to the notion that too much overhaul in terms of who leaves can have a negative effect. I think we saw the opposite. This year, where some guys leaving probably had a positive effect. Um, and some of the guys who came in, you know, had the positive effect. I think that, you know, I, I, Adam Duvall is probably not the kind of guy who I would say makes the clubhouse worse. Miguel Sano probably definitely would make the clubhouse worse. Tommy Fan would probably make the clubhouse worse. Um, things like that you would need to think about. But at the same, you know, right. the same vein, the like the Mc- worst Andrew thing McCutcheon. McCutcheon would be great. McCutcheon would be, McCutcheon fantastic. Would be Yeah from purely but, a clubhouse I mean, perspective he would i think be great, right but like i yeah. think really the most consequential thing the most consequential option here is trading eduardo escobar because people do seem to really love him
0: yeah i he's a great clubhouse guy he's got great vibes he's funny like uh, the media has a field day with him whenever they get a chance to talk to him he's all over the tiktoks that the mets were doing Five minutes. Season. five
1: minutes i come back
0: yeah give me five minutes i'll be right back like Oh, that stuff's gold. It's so funny. And I mean, what I've heard from inside baseball people is that the players that he's played with feel the exact same way that he's a great clubhouse guy. And like his first impression on the Mets organization and Mets fans was the story of him at Fogo de Chao on opening day. Like nice. the day before opening day. In his first year as a Mets, he, he bought the entire team, players, and staff dinner. At an expensive Brazilian steakhouse in Washington, D.C. A chain one, but an expensive one nonetheless. One I've heard good things about. He loves Fogo de I uh, He's taken it as a moniker for himself now. Fogo power. Like, I don't know. He
1: rocks. Don't give up on that. Just sign. I don't care despite... if the OPS is
0: 730. Yeah. I want him on the team.
1: <laughs> if it's 900 against lefties, like, who cares? Honestly, if it's if he does the job i think he should stick around um and also yeah like i don't know just sign matt whistler or something right like there are guys yeah. that you can grab Luke
0: jackson i guess i don't know he would oh, probably, geez, he's he's hurt
1: yeah he's tommy john but he, yeah, hey, john curtis has asked you know
0: yeah they could do that uh, michael fulmer things of that nature
1: yeah. Fulmer is starting to kind of creep me out in terms of how long he's been on the open market. He's too good to be there that long. Like something physically has got to be going on if teams still don't like him. Right? I shouldn't speculate like that, but there's no reason if you look at his statistics to not want him.
0: There's plenty of guys like that. I mean, there's, I don't know. It's a weird market left because a lot, I mean, the top, Thirty-two, whatever free agents, if, uh, whatever list that you, this is um, that you've got up here, is—they're all signed. Every single top fifty free agent, pretty much, with the exception of three guys, has been signed.
1: Yeah, and Michael Walker could go to the Twins like any minute now. Um, yeah, he's probably—I mean, those oh. guys who are left too—I've mentioned at you know ad nauseum the idea of like bringing in a a hybrid starter reliever to do the trevor williams job most of those guys are holding out for deals to start like waka probably wants to start for the twins um so he's probably out of the out of the equation Um, Cool would be fine cool could be interesting because like i remember when the Rockies signed him there was a people talked about the possibility that he would sort of improve by leaving the pirates he kind of had a horrible second half but um I mean, low value, buy low, right? Um,
0: yeah, Rockies are not exactly the smartest organization either when it comes to pitching.
1: Yeah, you've got you've got some uh, some toys to play with. Yeah, you could um, you could
0: like go out and sign Andrew Chafin or Matt Moore too. Like I don't know. Yeah,
1: they'll it's figure it out. It's definitely, I think, at this point, a matter of not trading Escobar. Um, don't do it because like if you trade him, you're just setting yourself up to you know, pay another right-handed hitter. Um, Don't trade Escobar, but I would say keep fixing the bullpen. Uh, You still have, let's see, Trevor May is gone. Michael Givens is gone. Joely Rodriguez is gone. Trevor Williams is gone. Um, Ottavino is back. You have Rayleigh, you have Robertson, but, like, still that's two new guys to four guys out of the building um right TV like McFarlane the is done. like
0: <laughs> is TJ McFarland on a minor league deal yeah yeah I mean okay yes they have to fix the bullpen still like it's not done there's also another question I guess that we're kind of dancing around is that in in the world where Carlos Correa is um, is a met and in a world where Eduardo Escobar remains a met, which is a big question mark right now, I guess there's a redundancy on this roster, uh, which, in a vacuum, means maybe Luis Guarme is uh, extremely expendable. Yeah, like you don't you don't really need a backup shortstop on a roster that has both Lindor and Correa.
1: That's true. I mean, you'd only hold out for him in, in the event that something really is wrong with Correa because that's I mean, that's the ongoing issue, I think. Right. It's it's that really last year it got to a point where like Devin Marrero was getting at bats. You can't have that happen again. Um, Luis Guillorme is a shield against that. I guess Jose Peraza is like maybe a shield against that, but like, I don't know. Is he going to hit homers off Josh Hader again? Probably not.
0: No, there's Danny um, Mendick now too in the fold. Like,
1: Well, Mendick is hurt, right? That's the thing about Mendick is if this, if you know, if you end up in a bind in, in June, Danny Mendick's not walking through that door.
0: But well, he should be back by June though.
1: You think so? It's ACL stuff. Um,
0: yeah, but I think he already had like a big chunk of that recovery out of the way
1: i my understanding was that he was gonna get sixty day like as soon as the season started, but I could be wrong i I could you know the doctors might have um you know other opinions on this and i'm you know I always listen I to we'll the see. doctors
0: i I don't know we'll see I just think that like I like Luis Guillorme. I love his defense can't hit a lick we know this like right. put together a good at bat sometimes i just His his biggest asset to this team right now is he's the guy that you can just stick in at all three infield positions outside of first and get premium defense now, and you just don't need that. Like third base, you're if Escobar remains met, you're covered because Correa is out. You have Escobar. Yeah. If Escobar is out too, you could slot Beatty in there. Mm -hmm. Shortstop, you've got Lindor, who's durable. You've got Correa, who is the last three seasons been much more durable. He gets slot over from third, and then you can play Escobar or Beatty. Second base, McNeil has proven very durable. Yeah, and then at some point you'll have Mendick behind him.
1: Yeah, I'd give it some time. I think, like, I don't know, unless you really, I would. Be, if it's between you or Escobar, and one of them has to get traded for a, a reliever, like, sure, you know, deal, um, deal. Yeah, Yorme. that's
0: more. That's more so what I'm saying is that I think that right. I think I'd rather trade Giorme than Escobar. I think it's a better team with Escobar than Giorme, but it's also a pretty good team of both. Like if you can keep both, you keep both, I guess. But yeah, if you really feel like the redundancy causes roster issues uh, and they have to get rid of an infielder, I think it should be Guillaume. Yeah. I just, you know,
1: the bat is just so bad. He also is not like a picture of perfect health, you know, although that doesn't really serve the Mets in terms of how easily they can trade him for someone valuable, but it's no guarantee that he was, you know, he'll be around the whole season either. Um, as far as who fills in for him, I mean, cause look, you make a compelling point about Correa, about Escobar, about Beatty, um, there's still going to be a possibility that, you know, if those guys get hurt and Buck wants his middle infielder who has a slick glove, we're digging into really muddy waters. Um, so you need to stock up in the same way you would if you trade Escobar and you need someone to do his job. You're going to need someone to do Guillaume's job at the very least, someone who can do it while you wait for Danny Mendic. But
0: Hey, Jose Iglesias is still a free agent if you were elvis andrews braves, right yeah
1: andrews is probably getting a real deal he's like he he's i would a, probably put totally him up there with
0: he's like, totally an atlanta brave
1: yeah i yeah. just see
0: it. i just see it happening the braves just don't have a shortstop right now like what's the plan there still like von grissom come on
1: they might it, it might on. really just be von grissom come on i don't know
0: I feel like with Grissom, like, yeah, he came up and he was good when he first came up. Not as good as he continued. Like, whatever. Like, the league adjusted to him a little bit. At mm-hmm. least he got to have, like, a capable veteran backup who could play shortstop. And Andrews, when he got to the White Sox last year, like, he hit for some power. Like, more Yeah, power he, he actually
1: did. looked like a different guy.
0: Yeah, like, more power than he has ever hit for before consistently. He had, like, 11 homers in a half season with the White Sox. Yeah. Or whatever it was. I might've just pulled that number out of my butt, but.
1: Well, Jose Iglesias bad. had a similar thing happen to him, um, with, uh, with the, between the angels and, or I guess it was with the reds, right? He went from being a guy who had like four or five homers a year to hitting 11. Um, even that, I mean, the, or no, you know what it was here? It wasn't a home run thing. It was a simple, like slugging thing when he was with the Orioles. Cause he OPS like nine fifty. um, yeah, that was weird. This was 2020, obviously, so fake here.
0: Speaking of 2020, we haven't talked about Dom Smith yet.
1: We have not.
0: Should we well, just rem- – I think actually maybe we hold on to him. I might use him for that little segment we do at the end of the show.
1: Sure. Uh, I mean the other possibility, speaking of segments, is like with this roster, you could decide that the redundancy is Brett Beatty, Uh because Jeff McNeil can play left field a little bit, and if Brett Beatty's redundant, um, and if you decide Francisco Alvarez even is redundant,
0: you know, uh, who, you know who doesn't need a left uh, a left-handed platoon partner at DH.
1: Who? Shohei Otani. That's right. It, it, that's see. This is exactly where I was going. I was going in this direction, and you you got me. But it's trade you could trade for Shohei Otani I think honestly that might be my opinion my answer to every trade scenario at this point especially considering the Mets do not have the prospect capital between their two spot and like everything beneath it like you're not getting anything for Ronnie Mauricio you're not getting anything for Mark Vientos. you're only getting anything for Beatty and Alvarez they should go for Shohei Otani and no one else. And in fact, really any trade, just you know, Joey Rodriguez for Miguel Castro, please. That did, that that did nothing. The Darren Ruff trade did nothing. Um, trade for Shohei Otani, right? Yeah, easy fix. Down.
0: Um, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see Shohei. You Ohtani don't need is-
1: medicals to approve the the trade, or do you? maybe you do yeah, you do you definitely, do. They, you, definitely do. you definitely do don't yeah, listen yeah there's to me. still physicals there's still yeah, physicals. aj Prowler is uh is viciously uh you know aj crawler that goes thing
0: which player did he screw Co- it was with? colin
1: ray oh yeah he traded colin ray that was the luis castillo trade the fernando yeah Rodney, luis castillo there was another pitching prospect attached to it, who I'm forgetting. Or my is it was this an Andrew Kashner trade? I don't know. I'm remembering I a lot it, of guys it, it, who never I played. Think it was, I think it it wasn't it like a three team. I don't know. It might have been three team. Yeah. It could have been three it, team.
0: There was definitely a situation with Luis Castillo where he got thrown into a deal from the Marlins elsewhere because of a medical thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because they traded the Padres. AJ Preller with that shit eating grin on his face knew that Colin Ray was hurt and he traded him. uh, And like in his first start with the Marlins Ray, like lasted three innings and then had to leave with a trainer. So they, you know, reversed it, which you can do, I guess. Um, Yeah, here it is. So the timeline is this July 29th, 2016. Um, there's no Fernando Rodney. This is Andrew Kashner goes from the Padres to the Marlins with former uh, hundred mile per hour fastball guy, Tyron Guerrero. Um, they went to the Marlins. This is actually a ridiculous haul. It's it's the Padres got, they got Carter caps, uh, Jared Cozart, Josh Naylor and Luis Castillo. Um And then Castillo went back to the Marlins for Colin Ray when the Ray trade turned out to be a, a bust. Right, and, Castillo, and then they traded. And then
0: they they traded him for the Reds anyways.
1: Yeah, the Castillo got traded like six months later to the Reds. You want to guess who it, who the trade was for?
0: Oh man, I feel like I know it. Um,
1: Cincinnati Reds twenty seventeen starting pitchers.
0: Man. went from the reds to the marlins was it was did they have d sclafani for a second or was it dan straley or something it was dan straley
1: it I was, was dan, dan straley. straley it was dan straley that was how do you allow that right strand daily exactly that's what they're saying that's what they're saying um
0: Right, well, Dan,
1: Straley. Dan Straley is going to show up in a TikTok slideshow after this episode. I know it.
0: Weird thing about me, I always thought Dan Straley was Australian.
1: He's Dan. not, right? No, it just sounds like it. Dan Straley? Austra- Dan, Dan Australian Australian.
0: Dan Australia? Exactly. Dan Straley.
1: Dan Straley yeah. was very serviceable in 2016.
0: Yeah, that's going to be the TikTok slide.
1: Top text, Dan Straley.
0: Dan Straley has 5.1 career wins above replacement, according to a baseball reference. He had that's a, more than me. You know what? He was pretty good for the Reds in 2016. There's was those innings,
1: 190 it best, innings.
0: It was his best year. It was, it was his best out. year. Best year by ERA plus by far, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, definitely not Australian. He's from California.
1: The Marlins ate that up, bunch of suckers. Yes. traded for
0: Luis Castillo, current uh, ace of the Mariners. Luis Castillo,
1: ace of or not ace. Never mind. Hey, you
0: know, led the led the National League in games started. In twenty seventeen, with the Marcos. yeah, those
1: look the, look game started, innings pitched, uh, uh, home runs per nine. Those are the things you can't buy. You need those uh those veteran innings eater starters. Well, you he, can't um, you can't kill them off. They'll always be here.
0: He's been pretty good the last three years for uh, Lotte in the KBO.
1: Yeah, listen, Jordan Lyles is always looking for jobs, so. He There's got a always job. a market for those guys.
0: Enjoy him. Enjoy, uh, enjoy your Jordan Lyles, Kansas City Royals.
1: Yeah, they need it. They need. They need starting pitching. We're, anyway. we're
0: getting into the weeds now, and we're already yeah. kind of remembering guys. Should we just yeah. remember some guys?
1: Yeah, you remember your guy.
0: Yeah, I, I already pretty much told the masses who I'm gonna do. I. Dom Smith today signed a one-year contract with the Washington Nationals. I'm feeling a bit conflicted about it, as so often I do when we talk about Dom Smith on this podcast. We've talked about him relatively recently, in the Mets letting him go, and like my thoughts are the same. I'm glad he's getting a chance to play consistent playing time. I think it'll be very funny if the Nationals insist on playing like Joey Meneses at first base instead of like in right field and block Doms at bats, and he gets stuck in the same kind of situation that he's been in with the mets um
1: i don't know i wish him well
0: the i think he has really...
1: incentives too right it's like yeah, uh...
0: it's like he's making like two mil guarantee and he can make like four more mil
1: yeah
0: like two mil is his rate like they gotta pay him two mil even if he sucks
1: yeah yeah i'm happy for him i hope he gets his at-bats i really hope he gets at-bats and that's a team that will that needs to give him at bats, right?
0: Oh boy, it's a real bad Nats team.
1: That's very bad. It's a perfect place to resurrect your career. I mean, great guy. Um, I've been watching videos just on the timeline, like all day of the 2019 highlights, like him on the scooter and him hitting the walk-off against the Braves. Um that was a great that was a great game. That was a great moment uh for him. I'm pretty sure that it was like his first at-bat back uh oh it was
0: uh i think so yeah
1: like foot injury and he was down 0-2 and he basically like he you know to get to play the last game of the season after you're um you're injured through most of the last month it's you know you want to make that at-bat count and he definitely did and he looked to his credit dom was incredible in 2020 um Small sample, juice ball. Like, say whatever you want. You might be right, but you can't deny that. Like, he was one of their best hitters that year.
0: He was one of the best hitters in the National League. I, th- I think. Yeah. It, he led the NL in WRC plus and extra base hits, or, or was top three in both, something like that.
1: Yeah, as long as he doesn't do it against the Mets. Like, if he's getting those at bats against the Braves and he's you know crushing Spencer Strider, and Famous- like that's.
0: Famous last words as long as he doesn't do it against the Mets.
1: As long as he doesn't do it against the Mets, he will do it against the Mets.
0: Almost certainly, he will do something against the Mets. Yeah,
1: I'm I don't know. I'm like, <sighs> I saw someone refer
0: to it on the timeline today as Daniel Murphy 2.0, and I wanted to punch my phone.
1: Yeah, that was that was overkill, you know. Like, although look, the Murphy thing is its own story, we haven't. I don't think we've ever sufficiently talked to should I remember Daniel Murphy just in the spirit of guys going to the Nationals and to be (laughs) ironic like as a
0: unless you had something else in mind
1: um no I I think I'll remember Daniel Murphy uh I think sometimes we don't remember him and um yeah he really kicked their ass when he went to the Nationals that was (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen anything like that and probably won't see anything like that again like people now they complain about Travis Darno and they complain about Justin Turner but um that was bad that was a bad that was the first domino to fall after 2015 too
0: yeah like my take is has been really you know fairly consistent over the years about the Daniel Murphy situation in that at the time With the eye test, there was really no reason to believe the power surge was the real Daniel Murphy now. And Neil Walker had been a better player.
1: And was great.
0: Yes, and was great. Neil Walker was great as a Met. He was very good. He was as as good, if not better, than Murphy had been the previous two or three seasons. Yeah.
1: And he could play his position, which Murphy couldn't.
0: Yes. However... If the Mets had actually used, um, you know, current at the time up to date, uh, maybe self-scouting practices, they probably could have seen that the swing change was legit and that Murphy now had loft and Mm -hmm. was tapping into it and was strong and um, was going to hit for a lot more power. And that little postseason show he put on wasn't just a hot streak.
1: Yeah. You know, if they kept him around, Kevin Long may have stayed too. And that ended up biting them in the ass when he left. Um, Cause he went to the nationals, I'm pretty sure. And he basically followed Murphy there. And um,
0: He's bounced around. Yeah, I
1: don't know. I mean, look, I don't feel like the way I do about like DeGrom leaving the Mets. When I think about Murphy leaving the Mets, like he was just kind of a guy who had been in the picture for a while and had a really, really good month. Um, But it is, you know, what I remember, I think most about that, that arc of his when he left the Mets was when Gary Cohen, like referred to him as a net negative on, uh, I think it was like, like Benigno and Roberts or something, which like, you know, we all make mistakes. It wasn't, it wasn't a insidious or hurtful, you know, like, obviously Gary didn't mean anything by it, but like, did I know as soon as I heard that that Daniel Murphy was going to OPS like 1200 against the Mets the next two years yeah I did um I think hopefully people watch what they say about Dom Smith because um that would that could also happen uh probably not on the same scale but just if it's if it's just one game and it's the game you need to win most it it probably is the same scale so yeah I'll remember Daniel Murphy um don't look up what he has to say about uh, about uh pride or Billy bean uh, or any of that. Um,
0: he and Brooks Raley would probably get along,
1: yeah they they'd probably be close uh it was it was pretty weak um but
0: yeah, it was real bad that was yeah. bad, that was a that was a tough uh, that was a bad moment for
1: yeah, that was a tough Dad. pull to swallow. Cause yeah, that was also one of those things where like a lot of people really liked him before he said that. And then once he said that, it's, it's, it's very hard if you identify, if you're in that group of, you know, if you're in the LGBTQ plus community to hear that and be like, oh yeah, I love Daniel Murphy. Like his errors probably piss you off a lot more at that point.
0: Yeah. Um, You, you and I both know people that are Mets fans and fall under that umbrella of the LGBT plus community and felt very alienated by murph and and what he had to say about people in that community and uh it as friends with those people it, it hurts us as right straight cis identifying individuals and um, kind of sucked it sucks to hear that as a fan period yeah because like these are normal these are like humans obviously and they're gonna have different leanings and beliefs and sometimes i just don't need to know about it yeah and yeah. Uh, sometimes it, and it makes the experience as a fan of these players a lot worse sometimes when they voice opinions that i don't agree with
1: yeah not yeah, to not say that, that this was other, even an opinion yeah,
0: this yeah right even, I mean, he framed it as an opinion it's yeah it's a bigoted belief though
1: yeah well it's it's you know it's like a there are opinions about whether uh you know the shift should be banned from baseball or not and then there are opinions about whether you're going to respect another person's like very fundamental interests and and beliefs that don't hurt you um identity (laughs) i literally like who they are and they're not hurting anyone um yeah i didn't mean to take us too far away from uh daniel murphy but i also didn't want to do a whole thing memorializing him on the spot like that and and neglect to mention that uh, oh, I don't. Really yeah, like
0: if you uh, if you didn't mention the rainbow colored cloud over his head, I would have. So, right. Uh, okay. I think it, it it it's important to touch upon that when we like. It's part of his legacy as a Mets player, especially in the 21st century. Like, it's just, it's something that you have to weigh when you look at his body of work as a Met. It's important to do so, um, and then he kicked our asses for two years.
1: Yep. It three. I'm doing one last check of the TL to make sure I'm not missing any uh, any Murph stuff or not Murph stuff, Met stuff. Jesus. Um, no, no, no. Oh well, there's Eric Hinsky, but
0: oh, new assistant bench coach or hitting coach, whatever. Yeah, we'll do that next cool. week.
1: I we'll see if that that's another guy to remember, right? Eric Hinsky was, uh, Eric Hinsky has a ring. 2009 got, Yankee. Eric Hinsky has more rings than you. He's got multiple rings. Oh, yeah. with well, the Cubs, too, right? He coached him.
0: He was a, well, he appeared in the World Series three straight years. Well, he's got, he had a ring, I believe, with the 07 Red Sox.
1: He did. He did, yeah.
0: Uh, and then he was obviously probably most famous for striking out to end the World Series in 2008 with the Rays.
1: Yeah. Didn't get
0: a ring that year. Uh, got one with the Yankees in 09, and then he got one with the Cubs in, in 16 as, a bench coach maybe whatever what was he
1: i think it was hitting coach or like assistant hitting coach Um, he was on the staff he was in the dugout he was there and he followed joe madden to anaheim so anyway yeah that's that's kind of all i have um yeah yeah
0: Same here i think let's uh hopefully by this point next next week when next we speak to y'all uh carlos Correa is officially a met um because i'm ready for this saga to be over and uh, that's really all we got I think for uh Tuesday January 3rd unless you got any final thoughts Jack.
1: Uh I do not. Happy New Year. Um yeah, let's let's go Mets. Love the Mets.
0: Let's go Mets. Love the Mets. Yeah, I I guess uh, happy New Year and thank you for the continued support into yet another year. This is our the fourth calendar year that we will be recording in, which is crazy. We haven't been recording for four years. We haven't even been recording for three, but um this is the the fourth different year on a calendar that an episode of p g will be released in. We started in August of twenty twenty and now here that's we are wild yeah,
1: it's damn, yeah, it's a whole presidential term that's a whole uh wow, really laying it
0: on. And wherever 2023 takes us, we're glad that you're along for the ride and we appreciate you listening along. Um, And that's really it. Episode 107 is in the books. He's Jack Hendon. I'm Sam Lebowitz. We'll see you next week. And Mets fans, have a pleasant (laughs) evening.